Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. And I hope you enjoy this new show, whether you're viewing it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the episode. I do want to thank you for being part of my audience. You can also find links to videos or podcasts on MiamiGhostChronicles.com as well as where you can submit your story about any eerie experiences you've had, which I would love to hear about. Just go to the Submit Your Story tab. Please subscribe to our channel so that you receive notification of when we release a new show. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is where I usually live stream and where I give you a behind-the-scenes look at locations where new episodes are being filmed at, I also tell you about all the interesting guests that will be appearing soon on Stories of the Supernatural. I hope you enjoy the show, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicle Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing today? Good, I hope. Here in South Florida land, everything is wonderful. As you will have seen by some of my previous posts, I'm... Uh, earlobe deep in summer hurricane weather here in South Florida, which of course, for any of you who've ever experienced, I've always got my fingers crossed for this time of year here in Florida, you know, which is the, like I say, either hot or hotter world, we're in the hotter. As a matter of fact, uh, I've got a thunderstorm going on overhead right now, but, and hopefully nothing will happen because, you know, I, I live in an old farmhouse and every once in a while the, the electricity does its own thing, but. I've got my fingers crossed, so there it goes. Anyway, guys, or my dogs bark, you know what that is, that they're they're wigging out with the thunder. So anyway, guys, today I am so excited about the guest that I have today. And the person is a gentleman by the name of Paul Amaro. Now, and you're going to, you know, those of you who know that I'm a hypnotherapist will know why I'm so excited about this. Um, back in uh, 1996, Paul, he's a, by the way, he's a Hollywood documentary producer. Uh, he found himself in the middle of his own paranormal, supernatural experience, however you want to call it. While he was researching a new TV show, he underwent hypnotic past life regression and was unexpectedly transported to a dark night in 1912. There in the freezing waters of the North Atlantic, he saw himself cowering in fear before a massive wall of black steel. As you guess it, the sinking Titanic loomed threateningly over his head. Now, he wrote a book about his experiences, okay, where he shares the story of the research and how he came to find out who he was or who he saw during that April night of 1912, where, of course, it's very famous, but he has what I call that personal view of that horrible night. And uh, the story is, uh, is a tale of obsession, intertwining lives, and ultimately the healing power of understanding in love. Uh, so let me go ahead and bring Paul on. How are you doing today, Paul? I am great, Marlene. Thank you, and thank you for that intro. That's Absolutely. Terrific. It is my pleasure to have you on today, and we were talking a little bit, and you understand. I'm, I'm excited about all my guests, but for me, it it holds a special place close to my heart because I understand firsthand how 
interesting in how I can what how it can engulf you when you have that type of experience or that connection that you can make. Especially, I think, when sometimes people kind of don't believe in it. But anyway, before we get to that, Paul, did you ever have any experience prior to this as far as either with reincarnation or anything else that uh, would be considered paranormal? Um, yeah, well, I, it's, um, and I think we were talking about that mm-hmm. earlier, um, just the, the, when I was a child, I, you know, we, there was, uh, everyone has milestones in their lives, and, you know, mm-hmm. we were some Catholic kids growing up in New England, and we had some friends who, um, you know, convinced us to try skinny dipping in our backyard pool. And it was something that, you know, we none of us had ever done. Our parents were there. It was a cookout. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I happened to, you know, it was a, a night where they were pretty close, our parents, they were playing cards. So we had this elaborate plan to go in and turn off the lights in the pool so that no one would see us. And during that process, when the lights turned off, I had this really freaky experience where I felt in the darkness like I saw a ship looming over me. And mm. it was like, uh, I don't know how to describe it oh except that all of a sudden it was like I was looking at this wall of steel in front of me like I was gone, like the pool wasn't there. Wow. And got the goose flesh from head to toe. Um, and it was just like, what the heck was that? And then my, uh-huh. you know, my eyes came back as, you know, adjusting from, you know, the lack of light. And I realized, no, there was no ship there. That was weird. And then, you know, and then they they convinced me to take off my, you know, swimming trunks. And, (laughs) you know, we we were being kids. And, you know, and I thought about it for a while. Like, what was that? What was that? And and I didn't, you know, it just, after a while, I forgot about it, to tell you the truth. And it was Mm -hmm. really only later when I had a regression and I saw that image again. That made me go, whoa, this was something that, you yes. know, that, that the regression didn't create out of whole cloth. It kind of dredged it up. And it, and it made me all the more interested to find out what that was. Exactly. It was like of all the things that you could think a kid would think, you know, possibly <laughs> yeah. see, that's yeah. so yeah. unusual. Yeah, that's... I mean, we were, we, I lived about, I don't know, 25 miles or so from the ocean. And if any, you know, if you know anything about New England and Massachusetts, People are very provincial there. You could live your whole life 20 miles from the ocean and never see it. Mm-hmm. You know, people stay around. So, you know, not that we never went to the ocean, but it, right. it's not something that, you know, I exactly. was obsessing about or even thinking about. It was just, what is this thing? And where am I? And wow, that was freaky. <laughs> you know? So fast forward, did you ever have afterwards as an adult prior to when you started uh, doing the I guess the research for the show into the past life regression. Yeah, yeah. well, well, an- another thing after, well, in terms of if we're talking about sort of this this deja vu feeling, mm-hmm. um, I, I I would say that um, you know I got seasick, so I never really, you know, I enjoyed traveling fast on the ocean, right. um, you know, but I never really liked boating in particular. <laughs> Um, and, you know, part of it, you know, I went on a deep sea fishing trip and got terribly sick, but I loved it when the boat was flying and you feel like you're just, right. you know, you're, you're flying across the water. But um, it just was never something that compelled me. Um, I didn't like the beach particularly, you know. So, so I wasn't drawn to maritime history or, um, 
you know, but, but, but interestingly enough, I was drawn to communications. And, okay. you know, I became a filmmaker when I was 12. My uh, dad gave me, um, I think I was 12, his old 8-millimeter camera, and I started making movies. Okay. And, um, you know, I, yeah. I made a movie about the sinking of the Titanic. <laughs> Actually, what? Really? When you were that age? Where it was just, you know, um, but I, I know in that case I had seen a movie on television that really, you know, when I saw it, it really kind of captured me. And it was an image from the original Titanic movie in the 50s. So I thought it was really cool. And as a director, I wanted to recreate it. But, um, but once I saw this, this image of Titanic, which I really believed was Titanic, it was night, it was a dark ship on the ocean, I was in the water, um, you know, I started looking around to see who could I, you know, if I was somebody, uh-huh. who could I be? And, you know, there were only so many people on the ship, and I got this real sense that this person didn't survive. Um, so I did some research, and, and, I mean, the research I did was simply put in a, the movie A Night to Remember, which was a, okay. a classic film based on um, the Walter Lord book. And, um, you know, I had read the book years ago, but hadn't seen the movie ever. And when I saw it, I started crying during the wireless scenes. I wow. started just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And it was just weird because I don't cry during movies. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I, I usually, you know, just go, oh, man, they're being cheesy. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not that type who gets swept away. Or put it this way, to be fair, when I was younger, I wasn't that person. I think as I get older, I get more, you get more emotional. About yeah, that. I know, but, I know. But what you're saying is like, oh, that's so sappy. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a kid, you're like, this of course, is sappy of course. Yeah. But I just kept crying. And so I thought maybe it was, um, you know, that there could be some connection. And one of the two wireless operators on the ship did die in the sinking. And so really one of the first things I did, I figured, um, you know, well, hey, why don't you go to his, his hometown? You know, this was um, when I was looking into this, it was maybe the late 90s mm -hmm. and the Internet had just started. But it was very minimal what you could learn. Unlike right. now. Now you can learn anything about it. Exactly. In person. But back then it was just very limited. So I figured, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm working on a new show about the um, based on the Guinness Book. Um, it was a show that we did for Fox back in the late 90s. And mm -hmm. it was this was, I think, in March or so of 98. Um, you know, and I basically was like, well, let's just, you know, if, if you are this, you know, if there's any connection to this guy, clearly you'd have a connection to where he lived. So okay. I just, and I had never had deja vu or anything. Um, but growing up, I did love, this is a weird thing. One of the places that I really, really loved going to, and I, you know, as soon as I got a car, I would always go there was Newport, Rhode Island. Okay. Now what Newport, Rhode Island is known for of course, are the mansions and mm -hmm. the Victor basically the Edwardian mansions, you know, that it was during right. that time, it was very well known. And they have cobblestone streets okay. and cobblestone sidewalks and all of, you know, and the old fashioned lampposts and stuff. So it's very, it was a place that I would just be drawn to again and again and again. And when I got to this guy's hometown, I recognized it. Like, wow. I knew where his school was. Like, I knew I was on the main drag. I knew where he lived in relation to where I was. And as a matter of fact, I was making for a museum in that town that had a very simple exhibit. And my goal was, like, hey, let's see if they have a book about this guy. Yeah, okay. You know, because for me, it was just a curiosity. Right. So, you know, I went all the way to the guy's town, 
and, you know, had to come in on a cab, you know, took a train to a nearby town. And as I'm coming in, I recognize it. And I'm like, we're here. And the guy's like, yeah. And I'm just like, wow. And it just was so like Newport. It was, you know, his, the main street was just exactly where I remembered. And what was interesting was the the museum was just a couple stops from the old post office, a couple buildings from where he worked, you know. And okay. he used to walk up and down the street all the time he lived in the town when he was employed, you know, a teenager. Mm-hmm. So so that just made me go, wow, you know, this is, there's something real here. This is not just, you know, right. I went to be like, you know, hey, so we're checking out. Um, the museum was closed, so I never actually got the book. But just being there and, and feeling like yes. I knew where he was because when I was standing on the street looking around, I'm like, okay, his house was up there. He went there and there. And then later... When I looked at maps, I realized I was right. You know, like I wow. knew how we got there, you know. So you were able to, in other words, where he lived was still standing, because I know sometimes a lot of these, even though I know they... No, 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 unfortunately, I think it was in the 40s or, you know, it's, it's been a long time. That building okay. is gone and there's it's a gone. completely okay. different, yeah, like there's a completely different set of buildings, but I was able to find where online was, later some old pictures. Yeah, yeah, and I knew that you had to cross the bridge to get to, you know, his main history. Right. You know, he lived in a little village, you know, I don't know, a mile, a couple miles out of town, you know, out from the center of Godalming where he worked. Yeah, because that's so. really how a lot of people, that's how, that's how really how we went by landmarks, you know, oh, I go there and then I, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so and I've always been like that in this life, too. Like, like I, you know, I have one of those brains where I don't usually get lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I say that I, some friends and myself took a road trip a couple weekends ago, and I did find myself getting lost. So that if they listen to this, they'll be like, yeah, yeah he never gets lost. <laughs> but I just have a, I do have that sense of, a rough sense of where things are in relation to each other. Okay. And it was, it was very pronounced with him, you know. So, so, yeah, so that kind of really led me to go, hey, you know, and I started doing more regressions and more stuff came out and, you know, and there were, there were, that played into, uh, with regards to, and I know that we're not talking about the specifics of the story, so mm-hmm. I should back up, the, um, the, uh, the gentleman, Jack Phillips, uh, John George Phillips, um, was the senior wireless operator on Titanic, and he had an assistant, someone he felt was an assistant, but this assistant, quote-unquote, survived. So when people talk about the Titanic's wireless officers, they always bring him up, and okay. his story is the only story that really survived. Uh, Jack okay. did not, but Jack really looked at him as his assistant, and it was his first promotion. <laughs> um, okay. And, you know, they had a wireless room that was sort of inside the ship, and it was sort of hidden from the passengers. And Jack didn't like that because on the other ships that he'd been on, there was more access to the deck. Okay. And, you know, people would come in. And he just enjoyed sort of being seen. You know, he, he, you know, he had a little bit of an ego on him. So he didn't like being buried away on Titanic. And just one weird bit of confirmation I had was, you know, I was seeing this in my regressions. You know, I was seeing the layout of Titanic. I knew, mm-hmm. you know, where his room was. I knew everything. And what tripped me up for a period of time while I was doing this was I checked the blueprints of Titanic, and okay. I saw that the room was in was not where I knew it to be. And it really, really was like, wow, this is, you spent time on this, and it's 
what happened, right? Yeah, it's not true. And then what I discovered (laughs) was that they, that was where they believed the uh, wireless room to be, but it took James Cameron on a new, you know, like on a a hunt Mm -hmm. going through the wreck and going deeper into the wreck had been moved to the center of the ship where I knew it to be rather than right there on the port where the uh, plans had. And the, the supposition is that they decided that, you know, window space was very valuable for first class cabins. Okay. And so to waste it on, you know, Marconi's little room, you know, yeah. just, you know, the, they felt that it would be better if they just sort of hid that and could sell those rooms that had windows on the deck. So that yes. was, you know, but again, I didn't know that. I just simply knew where the room was and was really disappointed when I. You were thinking, oh, boy, what happened? There, you know? so, anyway. And did you ever have, Paul, when was the moment that, let's say you're doing the research, you're doing the past life, but did you ever have this one moment? I want to say the shock moment, which is like, this is, this is it. This, this, this was who I was, or this was me, or mm-hmm. this is not my imagination. Yeah. Yeah, even even though there was all that, you know, mm-hmm. the stuff when I went to Godalming and I really felt like deja vu, which I'd never experienced before. The the moment for me, because I just I was sort of like entertain. I mean, the best way to describe it, I was entertaining this idea that mm-hmm. I could have been this guy. Right. And it wasn't until, um, and I can tell you the date too. It was January second in two thousand and three. Okay. Because I was celebrating my um, 40th birthday okay. at Disney World in Florida. And my family came. Everybody came. It was kind of a big to-do. And the day after New Year's, we ended up, um, or maybe it was New Year's Day, um, going to a Titanic exhibit that was there in Orlando. Oh, wow. And what I saw were some blown-up photographs, one in particular that had been taken on Titanic, of... Um, one of the wireless operators. Okay. And what freaked me out was that it looked like me, like exactly like me, from behind. It's The guy wow. was shot while he was sitting there at, you know, working. Uh-huh. But there was just this body language. Just like looking at it, I recognized myself. I was like, wow. oh my God, that's me. And, um, you know, another little wrinkle in my story is that um, even now, uh, Titanic experts believe that photo to be the surviving second officer and uh-huh. not the actual one. But I did a bunch of research that proved to my satisfaction that it was a miscaption and that, mm-hmm. you know, that it's, um, it is in fact the other one. And, and there are some Titanic experts who, you know, will acknowledge they're not sure that there's a question about who it is. But I know for a fact it's him because I, you know, I, I'm like, it's me. And even family members, I said, you know, does that guy look like anyone you know? And they, every one of them said, it looks like you, actually. So that, that to me, that, wow. said, you're not making it up. You know, that moment, that truly that moment was like, was like, this isn't bogus. This is you. you there's a picture. This is proof right. to you. So, and anyway, you know what? Yeah, what are, that, what are that the odds that you go and celebrate and they have a Titanic exhibit? Huh. Yeah, yeah. And apparently, I think it's even still there. Um, You know, the photos that were taken, the photo in particular was taken by an Irish priest who 
sort of was given his trip as a gift, and essentially he just took it from Southampton, where it left in England, and to Queenstown, okay. um, where he had to get off. And he wanted to go all the way to New York, but um, his life was apparently saved by his the head of his order, who basically said, in no uncertain terms, are you to go to New York? Get, you know, we need you back here. So wow. he, but he wandered around the ship, and he took some of the only. Uh, actual photographs of Titanic. And, you know, he was known to kind of slip into rooms that were private and mm -hmm. take photos. Um, right. He did that to someone else's suite. He slipped into a suite on the promenade deck and took <laughs> pictures of it. And clearly he didn't know the people there. And, you know, right. so this was, I believe, a case like that where he was, you know, he was, he was just going around and he's thinking, because yeah. I imagine yeah. what everybody you know, back then, this was the premier luxury liner, you know, it was an exciting mm -hmm. thing to be on that ship. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, and how old was he? How old was Phillips when he was? He was 25. Okay. Um, he, well, you know, and, and, you know, and of course, once you discover something like that, you go, um, he had the bad fortune of celebrating his 25th birthday on Titanic. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was one day wow. into the voyage, and he didn't really get to celebrate. He didn't want to, you know, make a fuss about it, and I, he, I think he was planning a pretty good celebration for himself when he got to New York, which didn't mm -hmm. happen. Um, but, but that's another weird thing, honestly, and I can tell you this, um, <laughs> and this is one of those weird things. All okay. of my life, 25 was the end zone. 20, like when I was a child, when I was a teenager, I was convinced I would not live past 25. 25 wow. was going to be the end. And as a matter of fact, even though I graduated film school, like when I was 22, mm -hmm. you know, my attitude was, what are you going to do? You're going to move all the way to California and just so that you can die. For four years <laughs> and, more? You know, <laughs> yeah, wow. You know, you know and, and miss your family and miss your mom and all that. So basically... I stayed in Boston for like so three years. So you really, really thought that this was going to be it. Yeah. And then oh. once I hit 25 and then 25 in a couple months, I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to be dying at 25. I guess I can go. And then it was in like March or April of 1988 where, you know, and I was 25 in like three months or whatever. Um, you know, I decided to, uh, you know, move, like, come here, come to California just to see whether I could live here. And then a few months later in June, I moved permanently. But yeah, I literally put off moving to California, which is something that I wanted to do most of my life because I felt like, what's the point? Then, you know, that's a very <laughs> unusual thing when you're in your 20s. Usually it's the other way around. When you're in that age, you yeah, can yeah, no, invincible. I was convinced I wouldn't live that. Like, I was just, you know, like when I remember... <laughs> And, and this is corny, what? and it also will date me. But I remember when Billy Joel's Only the Good Die Young oh, was yes. on the radio. Mm -hmm. and, and I was all like, it always made me sad. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, <laughs> my brother would argue whether that, you know, I was good enough to die at that point. But, you know, the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, always, no, don't worry, you're not going to die. <laughs> brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, if only. Yeah, as a matter of fact, he said to me one time. Well, if only the good die young, you'll live to a ripe old age. It's um, like, yeah. You know, right. that, we used to just be really rotten to each other. So. But you know what? When you think about it, of all the things of a prior lifetime, obviously be, besides the trauma, it would be somebody yeah. at that age that realizes, because this was not a sudden end of life where all of a sudden, this was that you knew you were going to die. 
and you were only 25, so you think of all the possibilities, you said, I'm never going to have that chance to experience those things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just really, I just really did. Like, I felt like it was this premonition, and it was really strong. So, so that's why, I mean, you know, I had friends, like, everyone after college pretty much moved right away. Like, they, you know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you have a film degree, it's burning a hole in your pocket. Right. I had friends who had moved here and were working. So it was just like, yeah, but, I, you know, there was that part of me that was like, well... Really, what's the point? And I sort of made a deal with myself that if you live past 25, then then you can go. And then that happened. Now, truthfully, I didn't put all that in the book because, uh-huh. um, <laughs> well, you know why? Because it's um, maybe it's my TV writing, my documentary experiences that at a certain point, you know, you're trying to tell a story for a more general audience. Mm-hmm. And right. you, know, you don't want to just completely bore them. Um, you know, but yeah, but that was something that it wasn't until all the pieces came together that made me go, well, that's why you believed you were going to die when you were right. 25. And that's why all of your life, you've never really loved your birthdays. You, you know, when people make a fuss, you go, eh, because, you know, obviously if someone went through an experience of having it, yeah. kind of a boring birthday and then dying tragically two right. days later, I, you know, it, yeah, or, I mean, if it ever was, I mean, obviously he knew how old he was, but if it's ever more like yeah i just celebrate my 25th birthday and that's it that's this is the end of my life mm-hmm. yeah no that's a terrible thing that's just a really terrible tragic thing and uh yeah there was a lot of tragic stuff and i think that for me personally uh, a lot of this life has been kind of an answer to his because you know like i tempered like i had the same level i have and had the same level of you know really wanting to get out there and see the world and do stuff. Like, you know, right. it was a big deal for Jack to leave his little town mm-hmm. and his job at the post office, where he could have done that forever. Right. But to, you know, go, um, you know, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away to Liverpool to train to be a wireless operator and then get on ships and spend his life traveling the world. Like, that's a, that's a big move. Yes. And it's not so different, really, to growing up in New England and moving to California. Yeah. And so, like, I share his appetite to see the world. And actually, it's a curious thing because he saw a lot of Europe and he saw – you know, and he was very fascinated with, with America because he would come here, but he couldn't really visit. Mm-hmm. And he never really traveled across the country. So for me, I'm very interested in America. And most of my travels, right. I've, I've barely gone internationally. And I've, most of my travels have been here in the country to see all the parts of it. You know? It makes you wonder if at some point when he was going, maybe he thought, man, I should have stayed close to home and these things yeah. would have happened to yeah, there were there were a couple of those turning point moments in his life. You know, there was yeah. a there was a special you know, a special young lady that he met in Ireland that mm-hmm. he could have stayed for. And and he, you know, that he really I think was the love of his life, but she sort of that sort of stood in the way of his plans. That he right. didn't want to be trapped right. in, you know, in the middle of no like to him it was just akin to being stuck at home. It, you know, and unfortunately, had he made a different choice, he probably would have lived a very long life. And, you know, and then concept and yeah. So, yeah, there were there were were moments like that where yeah, 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 exactly. And even because he when he sort of went back to shipboard service, he had spent three years um, in Ireland. 
um, you oh, know, okay. and, and it was, you know, it was for him, it was tough because he was jealous of his friends from school who were getting really good assignments and he had a good taste of it prior to taking to this job. So while it was considered a plum job within the company and mm-hmm. it paid better, it was a real boring place, and the trade-off was just you were stuck somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I mean, beautiful, but in the middle of nowhere in his mind. And, you know, so he he went back to the sea working with one of his schoolmates, and the trouble was they clashed. And oh. he made it clear that he didn't want to continue that arrangement. And he was looking for other postings. So had, again, had he not, and had he not fought, uh, he could again miss, have missed the Titanic. So, so yeah. So I, I look. I look. It was at those all people. the possibilities, you know, that you could extrapolate. Yeah. You know, yeah. so many. Yeah. And he was yeah. because the title of your book is he was the one that sent the SOS. Then, as far as yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he uh, the SOS was something that I mean. I don't know that I go into it as completely in my book, but but one of the things people, um, you know, I, I don't know are always aware of is that, you know, the the wireless on Titanic was, uh, at the time, you know, some, some people referred to it as a curiosity, but it really was kind of like the Tesla of its time. You know, okay. it was a brand new technology that was very expensive, only for rich people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the company, the Marconi company rented the room on Titanic. Basically, they owned it and they charged a premium for their messaging. Wow. So if you had enough money, you could send a telegram and, you know, they pretty much call them Marconigrams, <laughs> you know, right, while right, a ship right, was at right. sea. But the thing was, is that they didn't take too kindly to their competition, you know, and the reality is, is that, um, you know, Jack was very focused and Marconi had for years since they pioneered this technology, they used a different code. It was called CQD. And, you know, essentially the translation of it was basically like attention, everyone or shut up. And then, you know, distress, you know, basically Mm -hmm. it was like clear the deck we have a problem and they kind of use that the marconi guys w- would use it on their ships and they were taught it um at the time the germans had were trying to sort of regulate all of radio and okay. they came up with this the sos co- uh, signal which they felt was easier to understand and people in other languages like it's a repeating thing it's mm-hmm. you know da, 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 you know like the Close Encounters music, you right. you, you can't not, it, it, it would be recognizable as a sound rather okay. than having to know English. Exactly. So, you know, so yeah, so a long-winded answer of saying that, yes, he did send the SOS because the, um, you know, the younger guy reminded him, hey, uh, you know, this is the new international signal, but, but by and large, he was sending CQD, which was the Marconi signal. And... What sense did you get? I mean, I mean, there's been so many versions of, you know, what happened that night, whether they underestimated really exactly how much danger they were in. Like, in other words, they took their time. Besides the fact that there was not enough lifeboats, but still. Mm-hmm. Do you think that yeah. your impression with him was at the beginning maybe the same thing, that everything was going to be okay and then it turned out not to be? Well, I think... 
Um, for he was he was particularly rattled. I think the crew had a little bit more of a sense because he was a little bit more rattled because of the, you know, when you're when you're traveling the ocean, the the sound of the ship is ever present. There's mm -hmm. a it's just it's like a white noise and it's always there. Right. And when they turn off the engines and they're just floating in the middle of the ocean, that silence was very unsettling for him. And he had a, and also, you know, there was some sloping, you know, in the Marconi room. Like he, so, so he, he was pretty, you know, and he was of course tied in. He knew earlier than most that there was a danger because the captain had come in and, you know, wanted first wanted to just make sure they were on alert okay. before sending the message and basically told them flat out to tell people we're sinking by the head. So, so Jack, well, unlike the passengers who might not have been experienced, they might not have known that a ship, you know, a, a massive steamship with the engines turned off floating in the middle of the ocean is not a good thing ever. Okay. You know, I don't think they knew that. Wow. That is, and I think that, like, and that illustrates the point of what you say, that somebody like him understood maybe only too well, okay, yes. there's going to be yes. a lot of people that are going to die, and I yes, hope I'm not he one did. of them. He did, and also, too, what frustrated him, and it was a, and again, I think this is something that is maybe less known in Titanic lore. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, Jack was a, a slightly more conservative person than, uh, a quite more conservative person than I am. <laughs> and he was very offended because right around the time that the ship left was a real intense period of unionization. Okay. And there were strikes that constantly interrupted his schedules, and he was not happy with them. And there was a major co-worker strike that was happening right okay. up to and including the voyage of Titanic. So because the, you know, it had been announced to the press and, you know, they had sold a bunch of tickets, White Star didn't cancel the launch. They just simply put all of their other ships on ice at port and took all their coal so that they could run Titanic across the ocean. Wow. And I think when Jack realized that they were sinking and there wasn't a lot of radio traffic, he, he connected the two. That, that like on any given day, mm -hmm. the Titanic disaster could only have happened if the sea was empty. On a, on a typical voyage, he is hearing messages every 10 minutes from other ships. You know, that, that ships are passing I in the night. It was like I a, never it was like a highway. That. That's yeah. incredible. But, but it wasn't a highway that night. And uh -huh. that is where the problem was. And he he sort of set his anger, <laughs> his fury, if you will, towards the strikers who had caused this in his mind. Well, yeah. of course. I mean, if you think about it, because it's like, you know, if if they would have normal ship travel traveling around, whether they were commercial mm -hmm. ships or whatever, chances mm -hmm. are that they would have had a better chance of rescue. Oh, yeah, because and that was what people always forget about is that Titanic only showed the Titanic's sadly it was a, you know, a cluster, you know what, in every mm -hmm. sense of the word, because because of the fact that the ocean was like that, because you couldn't go 10 minutes without another ship, you know, a half hour max on a, on a typical time. You had all these companies, they were in big ships, little ships and all that. Um, because of that, they didn't feel they needed 
a, a, you know, they couldn't imagine a scenario where a ship would be alone on the ocean. Exactly. So they never thought of the lifeboats as anything but ferries. You know, in other words, right. you know, send them down, send them over to that ship. Right. They yeah. get off there. Disembark them, them and send them back. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was supposed to be for offloading only. It wasn't, I mean, sorry, ferrying only. Not, we're going to put you on a little boat and leave you in the ocean. Because that's the other thing is that, again, yes. 99 out of 100 times, you won't have the North Atlantic looking like a mill pond, you know, yes. to quote the Cameron movie. You won't have an, a, just a quiet, calm, because, you know, you try to put people off into boats in, in normal times or in a normal April in the mm -hmm. Atlantic, they're going to turn over and everyone's going to, you know, like. Exactly. It's, yeah. So, so, yeah. So, yeah, but that was the thing that I think people don't really remember is that, you know, and they blamed the greed of the White Star Line, but they, they really couldn't fully conceive of being, you know, away from help and needing to offload everybody and having it be feasible to do so. Right. Almost like the same thing along the perfect storm idea where everything that yeah. could go possibly wrong or be in the Absolutely. wrong place was or timing, that's what happened. Yes, ab absolutely. And, you know, they're in Titanic – you know, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle before the um, before it sa sailed, where the captain was not really so happy with the crew, and he wanted to bring someone he had worked with before on. And so what that meant was, he you know he got rid of you know his chief officer and replaced him with someone that he liked and had worked with a lot. And the first officer left. Now, of course, the first officer swore on his deathbed that he didn't take his keys which, you know, just to say, screw them as he walked off, but he ended up taking his keys as he walked off. One of those keys was to the cabinet where the lookout's uh, binoculars were. Oh, what? Yeah. So he took the keys, and on the ship, you know, it was a brand-new ship. It had all this woodwork and all this molding, and nobody wanted to, like, break the lock mm -hmm. to get at the binoculars. So you had... And in, in an icy April, the guys oh up God. on the um, thing without binoculars, and that that was a, that was a difference maker, a huge oh, of difference course, maker. Of course, of course, what? So yeah, yeah, and and Jack had some culpability in it too, and that's you know that's I don't want to uh, <laughs> I don't want to deny that because you know he was again sending his high expensive traffic, you know, stuff mm -hmm. that they, he was paid to do. And he got interrupted by a ship that was in the area that had shut down for the night. And just sort of, instead of, uh, the guy didn't follow protocol. You know, like Jack was kind of a little bit of a stickler for, you know, for detail. Mm -hmm. and, and, and normally it's sort of like, I, I tell people like, it's like in the old days when they had fax machines and you'd have a cover sheet that comes with it that says, right. to this right. person, mm -hmm. from this person. So the Marconi way was to, and the guy was working a Marconi thing, but I don't think he was as well trained as he should have been. But the bottom line is when you wanted to get a message to a ship using these channels, you, you addressed the ship and you made it clear that you had a message from your captain to the captain of the Titanic. Like there was something, it was called the, the, the master service grants. Okay. And, you know, you would basically say, Master Service Graham, Titanic, from, you know, master of this ship. So right away, it triggers the person saying, oh, okay, this is important. 
instead of just, hey, how are you doing, which is what this guy did. And the guy basically just, you know, he thought it was just, you know, a board operator just trying to gossip. And so he wasn't really paying attention, and it was interrupting his work. And sadly, this was a ship that could have made a difference. It was very close to Titanic when it when and and the guy was working alone on the ship. And since the Titanic really wasn't talking to him very much, he just mm-hmm. basically went to, you know, he turned off his his thing and went to bed, and unfortunately <laughs> missed all the SOSs, and and you know, and thus they did not help anybody. So so Jack had had some role. He has some culpability in what happened, but honestly. You know, there was a lot was of things that sound like they were not oil. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. Think of it. There's the strikers. There's no binoculars. <laughs> and, I know and it's like yeah, and people don't realize that out there it's really yeah. dark. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. In the middle it's of the funny, ocean, yeah. you know, yeah. there's yeah. no, there's no yeah. ambient light. There's, there's nothing. Yeah. Well, no, exactly. It is true. It is totally true, and and on that, I mean, that's the thing. A moonless, dark night, you know. I mean, <laughs> you're yes. flying blind, and those guys were going fairly fast, you know. Like I can't speak to. I mean, I can say this, and I didn't put this in the book either. Um, a lot has been made of the villains on the ship, and in mm-hmm. particular, you know, Bruce Ismay, the the managing director of White Star Line. But in Jack's dealings with him, because he did a couple times come and bring messages to the wireless room, he was very nice. He was a, he was a very nice guy, and he did not he did not seem to be the mustache twirling villain that he's been made right. out to be. Exactly. So I don't know, and you know, and there's there's an Irish writer who, you know, has a theory that the you know that a, a fire in the coal thing yes, was I've heard really of that. causing yeah. damage. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then you know other people look at point out that where the you know like he this guy basically presented evidence that Mm -hmm. you could see that it's damaged the hull because he found some old pictures of titanic before the launch and and others are saying um that's nowhere near the bunker (laughs) you know like you know that he got a lot of press from the story but there's that it's most likely a blemish on the film rather than right something like that the that the hole kept burning and they weren't aware that it was still burning or something like that yeah yeah so well yeah but basically meaning that they wanted to burn it out that Mm -hmm. yeah that 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 they basically were trying to empty that bunker you know the the bunkers where they kept the coal you know it's kind of like the storage units Right. And that the coal had combusted in there because it's highly combustible and it was burning not in the boiler. So the thinking was that they were pumping more coal from right. that bunker in an, in an effort to to drain it and, and put out that fire. So, you know, they were maybe putting more coal in than usual, which which obviously means that the engines were going to go faster. So, yeah, so that's the theory. And that and that could still be true. But the high the damage you know, that is supposedly been talked about, I don't know is true, and it's nothing that Jack was aware of, you know. Let me ask you, Paul, once you started getting into the research, did you start having dreams, or was it only under hypnosis that you were well, revisiting? I, I think I'm at the place now where I can sort of, <laughs> I can go there anytime I want. <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. um, and, you know, and even, um, but I, I sort of, I don't know. Other than other than reaching back for healing purposes, you mm-hmm. know, um, to it's, it's uh, I've ta- 
talked about this on this other thing interview that I had done, but I, I've since sort of done meditations where I've sort of been, you know, like I, where I've tried to show Jack, like, like show okay. him my life, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will, to right. just say it's a terrible thing you're going through, but just know that there'll be other sunsets, you know, know that this right. isn't the end, you know, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll be back <laughs> right. to maybe help what he went through. So I feel like I can, I reach out to be like, you know, and well, I know how crazy that sounds, but, no, you I know, know to a lot of people that, <laughs> unless you've had that experience and, yeah. you know, and of course, yeah, yeah, if you yeah, get no, over just, that, that, words, that, yeah. that roadblock of like, oh, my soul or my self-awareness, however you want to look at it, survives yeah. and goes on and takes on another yeah. life. Yeah. That's a lot of people can't wrap their heads around that. No, no, exactly. And so then it makes it sound like, oh, you're, so you're making it up. Oh, Paul, so you're having a meditation where <laughs> you think you're talking to this guy or that you're communicating with him, but you're really not. And yeah, but I kind of know the difference, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, I, yeah, and I feel like it's the least that I could do for him. That was kind of <laughs> my, that was sort of the healing part at the end of my journey with the book was, to realize that, you know, if, if I can, if, if he can, if I can see his life, it's very possible that I can, I can impact his too and, and maybe take away some of that horror. You know? Well, you know what? I think the fact that you lived beyond 25, that right there, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, you're good. You're good. You're good right there. Yeah, no, I was going to say, Hey, I'm 55 this year. I'm 55. And, you know, and yeah, that was, believe me, at 12, at 17, at 22, even. That was not, would, would not even have been on us. You know, and now it's like, oh, shoot, I actually am old. <laughs> and that's <laughs> but, the thing, that, if, yeah. that to, to have yeah. that expectation that you're only going to live to the age of 25 is very unusual. Okay, yeah, so yeah, that no, means I, that was very me, deeply it was, embedded it was in your so psyche. Specific too. It wasn't 24 or you'll never live past 30. <clears throat> you know, uh-huh. it wasn't any, it was just this random number. That wow. only clicked once I figured it out. It was like, oh, well, that makes sense. And I wonder, you you know. Yes. So, yeah, so there were just yes. too many of those moments in the process. And I think I tell people that where when they're like, you, so you really believe this? And I'm like, I really do. But because only because the alternative is just one amazing coincidence after another. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like. Let me ask you, have you, yeah. were there, and it doesn't sound like you did, but. Because it doesn't sound like you really had any fears or phobias as a result of that. But has anything changed in your behavior after you did that regression? You made that connection? Yes. Yeah. What happened? No, there is. There is. Actually, there is something. Another little weird, odd thing. And it was very healing. And I didn't even, I, I certainly didn't connect the two. But, um, you know, one, another little weirdo thing about me is that <laughs> I would hate if I were going to like a, a skyscraper. Okay. Um, you know, like visiting some high building. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely freaked out. Like to get to have me walk from like a car to the front door across the sidewalk, knowing the building is looming over me. I like I couldn't look up. Like the really? first time I did, I was like, "Oh my god!" And it just gave me this this terrible feeling of vertigo. Now, oddly, when I'm up on the top of the Empire State Building, I have no problem. I can look down and be like, oh, wow, this is great. But uh-huh. I had a weird issue with being under a tall building, wow, in the shadow of a tall building. In the shadow. And, and once 
I saw this thing where I Jack resurfaced, and he was just just a couple feet from the hull of the you know the <laughs> I think the taken apart Titanic, you know, like the back half was still afloat. Mm-hmm. And he came up just a few feet from that, and it scared the bejesus out of him that he didn't okay. expect see the ship there and it was mm-hmm. massive and it was looming over him and he felt like it was going to fall on him okay so that wow. terror that i experienced in the regression you know after i looked at it you know then suddenly i realized hey you know i you know so now i can walk in the buildings and i can look up and go wow that's cool and look at the architecture but it was nothing okay. that i could really do until i saw the regression and, and it wasn't and the it, height it, thing it was the perspective yeah. of when you saw it looming over you. How yes. interesting. It was a perspective of the feeling that you're looking it up at this massive thing that could come crashing down on you. And you know what, Paul? It's really interesting because, you know, like I explained to you as a hypnotherapist, I had always people ask me, oh, is it real? I said, well, I'll tell you what. The results I've seen are real. You know, when people... Do that past life regression, especially when they've got ex- exactly like what you s- described, inexplicable phobia, stuff that they're just weird out. They can't yeah. understand why, it doesn't, where it comes from, and they can't get around yeah. it. You know what? They have these breakthroughs that it works. It's like, okay, yeah. so whether it's real or not, which I think it is real, but it works. Mm-hmm. People yeah. come back and something that for some reason they could, and some of it could be quite severe, by the way. All of a sudden, oh, it's yeah. gone. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah, yeah no, it's true. I heard, a, I heard a story like there was there was one guy that I went to see, but I chose not to kind of continue with him. He was a regressionist. And mm-hmm. he told a really interesting story of something. And, and, you know, he was very concerned about things not being audio taped. And at the time, I was, God, I've been doing all this. I want to document it. You know, like mm-hmm. that, that, that documentarian in me was like, yeah. I don't want to do these regressions and not have some way to reference them. You know, like, right. I, you know, if I'm going to, you know, like, because we all know that memory changes. And anyway, but he told me this really cool story about someone he had just like he had said was in the previous session who had this, you know, he had the obsessive compulsive disorder of hands washing. Okay. And he talked about being, you know, some official, like in a, in a European city during the Black Death and he had to, you know, his job was to, you know, basically manage these scenes where all these people were killed and burned the properties. And he had just, you know, had a very traumatic thing happen where he had to kind of, there were sick people and they were still alive, but he, he ordered them to burn down this villa just to get rid of the disease. And, you know, and then he went and washed his hands from it. And so, you know, so anyway, and then he said that, you know, that, um, you know, he said typically when people have breakthroughs like that, then suddenly mm-hmm. those those behaviors stop because they realize that they're being well. You know, and again, whether it's true or not, it just just recognizing that does make a change. Well, I'm going to tell you a story along those lines, and it was uh, honestly right now I can't remember the source, but anyway, it was something that started out where uh, there was a couple that they were coming in to stop smoking for with hypnosis. It worked great on her, but with him, he reduced, but he just wouldn't be able to, he couldn't stop smoking. And the hypnotist was thinking, okay, there's something here. There's more to this Mm -hmm. than what's going on. So Mm -hmm. they went ahead and they did a past life regression. And I can't remember exactly what time period it was, but 
to make a long story short, it came down to that at one point he had been taken prisoner, and I want to say in the military, and mm-hmm. they had gone to supposedly to the, you know, where they shoot you, you they put you up against the wall, and they say, you know, that one last, what's, oh, gotcha, gotcha, the last right. smoke. Like, well, this is exactly yeah. what they had offered him, you know, uh-huh. your yeah. last cigarette. And yep. supposedly yep. the hook for him of not being wanting to smoke or stop smoking was that in that past lifetime, at the end of that cigarette, he was um, going to yeah, die. They, he was going to get shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So no, no, no that totally makes sense. That once they got sense, beyond that, that he relived yep. that scene, that moment where yep. he, you know, he was offered his last cigarette before getting shot. That yep. was it. He was able to stop smoking, but that was that was what kept him on that hamster wheel. Well, he would not give up the smoking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. No, that's understandable. And again, it's so, you're right. It's those little things. Those. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. where it's just like you, very you, heavy you emotional know. moment. Uh, yeah. High stressful and things like that. Yeah. Yes, and that's why there's a lot of people that a lot of times by the time. Well, in your case, you you were already having these little incidents, you just didn't know how to tie them in. And a lot of people go to yeah, the hypnotist yeah. though, by the time they're like, sometimes when they have severe stuff that hasn't worked any, any way out, any, and it's usually because there, something happened to them with a really intense emotional, and I hate to say it, it's usually tied into anger, fear, or yeah. right before you die. That's, those are the things that yeah. stay with you for some reason. Yeah, no, I, I can, and I can understand that. I can understand that because those, because those are powerful. And and for Jack, like that was his last view of Titanic, and it was scary. Wow. You know, like the, the idea that you're alone, you're this little bug in the water, and there's this ship that clearly, you know, has come apart and could easily just capsize on you. Like what's holding yes. it up and straight, you know, that is a terrifying thing to see. Yes, and you know, and for me. It did, you know, there was obviously a click back to it, you know, when the first time I went to the city and looked up at a building and, and got like this weird vertigo feeling, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, but yeah, it was totally odd. It was like, you know, I would just like be like, okay, here I am. And I would just look down because, you know, as long as you're looking down, you're not going to see anything that's troubling. So I would do that. I would just like keep my head low and I'd make a beeline right in. Wow. That and then is... once I was in, I was fine. <laughs> You know, which is exactly really that, that speaks volumes. It wasn't a height. And a lot of people, I'm sure, you know, when you go on a cruise ship or you've been out on any boat in the middle of the ocean, you realize you're like yeah. nothing out there, you know. So mm-hmm. I can imagine mm-hmm. being in the water with this huge yeah, yeah, monstrosity yeah. looming over yeah. you. God, that's horrible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and he was freezing too. There was a bunch of things yeah. that were going through him, but it was just, you know, he was pulled under with the sinking bow. And, you know, when he felt it was okay enough to leave that go, he did rise and saw the ship. And it just really flipped him out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? It's like, so. but anyway, Paul, you said now, you told me earlier before we started recording that you are now working on a second book, but this one's going to yes. be fiction. And can you talk about yes. that? Yes. That's spoiling. Well, with, yeah, without spoilers, um, it's a... <laughs> I, I guess I've been um, like I think a lot of you know a lot of people the last the last year last year and a half or so kind of been rough you know for uh, liberal minded folks let's say mm-hmm. and um, I was sort of compelled to you know I came up with an idea or I should say a theory that okay. might explain kind of what's going on in this crazy 
world that yes. we're living in right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, why behaviors that haven't been seen in years are suddenly back. And yes. so, it, it, you know, without spoiling the idea, um, okay. you know, it does relate to the past life phenomena, that I will say. Okay. Um, I, I sort of came up with, well, okay, so this is an interesting idea. How could you express this? Well, and I came up with a scenario. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's set just a few years in the future, so it's okay. a police procedural, and it involves a um, an FBI agent who is trying to, uh, you know, basically there's a rebellious group that is causing trouble, okay, and you know, killing people, kind of, kind of antifa plus, if you will, okay. and okay. this guy kind of comes in to stop them, and he sort of gets, you know, his ideas to try to get to the heart of what they're doing and what they're up to. And he will, you know, so he gloms on to the, uh, the sister of, you know, he, you know, he's undercover, so he mm-hmm. poses as the boyfriend to the sister of someone who's in the group and tries to weasel his way in to figure out what's going on. So that's, I think, probably as much as I will say. I, I wrote it as a suspense thriller, you know, okay. where it's just, you know, and it's written from the point of view of this guy and his transformation as he kind of figures out what's going on. But you said that there's a, you told me there's a little bit of smidge of paranormal in there, right? In the mix? A little well, bit. yes. The paranormal relates to the, uh, the, what we've been talking about. The, okay. You know, the okay. idea of the past life, I would like to figure into this book quite largely. Okay. So, yeah. So I figure that, um, and I'm, I'm writing it under, um, I, well, and I should say this right now, I'm planning to publish it under a pen name only because. I want to reserve my name for sort of the nonfiction stuff, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there's a there's a book about energy healing that I still want to do. Um, okay. I'm about nine chapters in, and I kind of paused to write this other one. Okay. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna publish this under you know under a pen name just because sure. you know it's it's like that other part of me, you know, and I do draw from my experience doing crime shows, mm-hmm. so I feel that it's fairly accurate. You know, and uh, and it's exciting. I mean, it's a page turner. So well, you know, you know what, and yeah. and I think, and I we've seen it in the past. I think this by you know, I think that as far as let's say for entertainment and for books or for whatever, I think that humans want to react almost against we got we're being inundated with so much technology and cameras and stuff yep. that yep. I think that we gravitate towards the non you know in other words the paranormal or the psychic or yeah. the supernatural or st- the the yeah. something where the unexpected or something that can't be measured is introduced into mm-hmm. the story because everything nowadays it's like you're monitored you know cameras are everywhere <laughs> everybody's got a camera you know with their phone and yeah. Yeah. i think that human beings i think that's yeah. i even think that that's you know you get all these people that are into these uh uh you know these online games whether they're world of warcraft or all these other things i think that's almost like mm-hmm. escapism yeah sure because absolutely no absolutely <laughs> and i think people are interested in that in that yeah. because you're right everything does seem to be you know um and even and even like for instance i know it's funny that i'm in some writers groups and they were all talking about that you know when you think about the books that you read when you were a child or whatever mm-hmm. and i know from the tv work and from the dramatic stuff is that you know um emails and texts and phone calls aren't really interesting <laughs> you know they're no. not but that's how we all communicate like you know like yes. so when you think about it a lot of authors are just sort of throwing that away and having people actually just interact 
And you know, I think so, it's a wonderful but thing. Like, I embrace the technology a little bit, but I tried also to use oh, yeah. uh, use it to my advantage um, in this. But yeah, but yeah, it's true because something has been lost. You know, I mean, just wow. it's like when you when you think of great writers, you know, and they they you know you hear that they wrote letters, love letters, and after they die, they're all published. It's like, well, what exactly exists now? Like, we, exactly. we communicate via emails, and you know, if we say we. We're on like uh, SBC Global, and suddenly we don't have that email account anymore, and it's gone. That's All of it. that information is gone. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Exactly. You're it, it, and yeah, because before, yeah, people would keep letters and. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you would have kind of a history. You'd have a way to look at presidents and famous people and writers and and to really get inside their heads with with how they communicated and now yeah like i said you could you could have i mean just written the greatest set of love emails you know via aol <laughs> you know right but, i mean where's that where is that ever no nowhere you know well and, and um so, like i said it's like uh i think that um a lot of the you see it because let's face it nobody wants to be eternally you know like i said i'm not anti-technology i'm very much technology believe me i, I love my phone and and yep. i tell everybody I, I you know i was born here and raised in miami and i remember when i was a kid we had would have ac on in the bedrooms at night and the, and now i'm a crybaby if i'm not in the ac right away because you get used to all these neat things yeah in other words, right. when I was growing up, we had window, you know, when you had a, like the, well, the yeah, window no, units exactly. and stuff. Right. It's like that concept of actually opening a window. Yeah, no, it's to you totally get that. And, that, yeah. you know, and I do that here, too, in California. I mean, I know that, I mean, that, that air conditioning. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, you know, when you, when you get used yeah. to the good part of it, it's great. But at yeah. the same time, like, yeah. and I think also because the technology seems to be advancing so, so quickly that I don't care. Even, even you know, even though the teenagers seem to get everything real quick. Yep. I think it's inevitable. You kind of feel like sometimes left behind because there's too much going on too quick. And yep. I think that that's why you see sometimes um, some of the the interest and in other stuff that's not quite so, you know, I don't know how. Because the thing with, I think, with technology is that everything can be measured and determined and, you know, found and read and examined. And everybody wants that, the X factor, the the unknown and um yep. Because yeah, no, no, that is true. That is a good point. I mean, and yeah, and I've heard snarky uh, guys <laughs> say, isn't it funny how, you know, go they used to find ghosts all the time until security cameras and, and you know, until everyone had a camera or, or they used to see UFOs all the time until right. everyone had a camera in their pocket and then all of a sudden crickets. And, you know, and it's like, yeah, so that could play into it, but but I mean, not that I think that's true, but I've heard that from people, <laughs> you know, that that our wired world has become a highly skeptical and suspicious world, and um, you know, and yeah, and the the way I look at it too, like with my stuff, mm -hmm. I have some wonderful friends that you know that the way I look at it is, you know, yeah, I promoted my book, but you know, if it's if it's a subject matter that doesn't insert, like, you could know me and never know that I believe this. I'm sharing this story, I think, for people who might be, you know, facing some weird things in their own life and and with an encouraging face to say, you should explore it. Um, but, you know, but yeah, but I don't, I don't thump it on anyone because it took me 12 years to believe it. Yes. And, yes. You know, so. 
And that's what I say. You know what? Personally, even like you said, if nobody ever believes you, let's say, let's go down. Yep. For you, it doesn't matter because you're, you, are, you know what you know and what you felt. Yeah. Yep. And that's all yeah. it takes. Yeah. That's all right. that matters. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And if those and and in this day and age, you know, people are interested in certain things or they're not. So mm-hmm. I, and there's no judgment there. It's like, hey, you know, if if people are interested, great. I'll be happy to share. But I'm not one of those people, one of those zealots who are singing from the rooftops. You know, like like oh, everyone has to do this because I think probably there are some people that shouldn't do it. You know, that no. you one shouldn't do it as like a, just a fishing expedition because because it can be intense or at least. And mm-hmm. but but if it. If you're moved to, it means there's something blocking you, and it means you should. That it's, it's you yes. know, that's how I look at it about it. But I don't just tell people, oh, yeah, my God, you guys should look at look at your past life stuff. It's amazing. Cause and you know sure. what, Paul? Based on my own experience, sometimes people, it could be like a big letdown because when you, ask, when, you, know, when you give instructions like, let's see the most appropriate lifetime, they might miss it. Yeah. They might be expecting, yep. number one, they might think they they lived either to be famous or in some great place mm-hmm. or something very mm-hmm. dramatic. And it turns yep. out that it was a real dull life. But there's a message yeah. there, but that's not what they're expecting. They thought that they were going to have some riveting, yeah. Yeah. dramatic life. And it was right. like, mm, that that's it. And you're yeah, like, that's that, it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the old, uh, the, the woman that... Um, uh, whose tapes I use, she had a great thing on her website. She, her name is Mary Elizabeth Rains, and she was terrific. Um, I just used her CD and got a lot out of it. But she used to say that, yeah, that people are depressed when they find out they're, you know, that they were a potato farmer with arthritis. Ordinary. You know? What's worse than being ordinary? <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Yeah, but here's the thing, though. I think you hit the nail on the head. What What is one's intention going there? You know, yes. it, is it... If it's to find out I'm Cleopatra, you probably will be disappointed. But as you said, you're targeting these lives for the message that they need now. And if they're open to the message, then they will welcome the information. You know, that's, I guess, how I look at it. Yes. You know, so you could look at it and be like, oh, darn, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, King Arthur, you know, or Guinevere or... And I'm going to give you a perfect example. One time I had a client. He was a young man. I want to say he was 23, 24. He's a young guy. And um, he wanted to do a past life regression, which I thought was kind of, okay, fine, we did it. He goes back, and he's reliving uh, in some country. Maybe it was in the Middle East or something. It was like a village life, very basic, like goat farming, where you you Mm -hmm. lived in a village, okay? Yep. And his life was, he was born in that village, lived, married, spent his entire life in that village because I took him to the point of his death and he died an old man in his bed. That was it. A very, very uneventful life. And he basically lived and born, lived and died in the same exact little village. So at the end, I was thinking, oh boy, for a 20-something year old. and, And then after he came out, I said, well, let me ask you, what do you felt? And he goes, I understand why I needed to see that. And I was like, oh, I gotta hear this. And I say, why? He goes, well, apparently his dad had passed away when he was like a teenager and he was responsible for his mom and his sister, but his sister was already in the teenage. He goes, the truth is I'm using my mom and my sister to not go anywhere and do the things I want to do. And I understand that if I keep doing that, my life is going to be like his, that yes, nothing will ever right. happen for me. Yes. Um, yes, yes. He saw it. He says, I understand it. It was like, okay, he gets it. Well, like, it was a yeah. real dull life. But yeah. it, for him, he understood yeah. at that moment why he saw that lifetime 
as dull as it was. I mean, it was meaningful in the sense it was his life, but right. nothing really yeah. happened. Right, exactly. And he and he felt that he wanted to, and his life now is probably a reaction to that, that he wants to do more, yes. see more, do more. Yeah, no, it's true. And even, you know, I, I mean, I just think that people have to be open to what, like, if they're asking for the information for mm-hmm. a helpful purpose, then they need to be open to what that is. I mean, yes. I had a, um, you know, just because of where, you know, like recently a couple people have, have like, reach out to me saying they have titanic memories too and hopefully i'll be talking to them but you know the uh the one other person in my life that i know who who or that i met who had a regression and felt that she was there she she interestingly enough did the regression because she was stuck because she basically was living in her hometown with her mom she was afraid to go anywhere um, and she was just, she felt like she had so much to do, but was mm-hmm. just, and then she, she, gloom and gloom and he, And that, to her, was just the perfect metaphor, and she learned. She realized that that's why I'm trapped, and I can't – I'm listening to my mother this time, and I'm not doing what I want to do, and I'm resenting mm-hmm. it. So after that, she just – from what I understand, she went and she just lived her life. You know, she, she – right. you know, so it can be healing. Well, people <laughs> you know, sometimes need also to be prepared to realize that you might see somebody who was really unlikable. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. Or – lived a life that you're like wow what a crappy life hello <laughs> it's it, 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 it you know sometimes people are unprepared like it's you know you're not going to go and have a gone with the wind moment it's like no yeah 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 <laughs> yeah the, the, you might have been a crappy person who lived a crappy life uh yeah and that was what happened with you and yeah, um, no it is i think that's totally i think that's totally true i i, I mean it would have made me think of with regards to um, I had a buddy who was, you know, that I had shared, like, like certain people in my life who are interested have known about this for years and years and years. Like, this is not news whatsoever. This one guy who I was in touch with, friends for a while, and we lost touch. But back in the day, he had read a book uh, that was written by someone else who had memories of being one of the designers of Titanic. And uh, he had read his book, and he wasn't sure if he believed it. Um, or not, um, and he, I gave him like early drafts of Vine, and he goes, you know, I hate to say this, but I believe you more than him, and I'm like, well, why? And he goes, well, because he's just defending this guy constantly. Like mm-hmm. his whole, his whole book is sort of this guy's a hero, and it's it's all about how saintly he is and how miserable everyone else is, and he goes. I feel like you're more realistic. Like, like you're, right. <laughs> you're not afraid to let the reader not like Jack because exactly. he wasn't always pleasant. And mm-hmm. you know, and I, I just tried to, I just wrote what I saw. Right. You know, and also I, I recognize that I'm not Jack. But yeah, I wrote to my, you know, like he did some, he did some crappy things. And you know, like not, not. I, I will, will. I guess I will defend what he did on Titanic because even though, you know, there was a reason for everything that he did. Right. Um, and he certainly did not try to be a jerk on Titanic. Uh, but, you know, he had his ego and, of you know, he, he was not great to his dad and, you know, and his family, really, and at times. And, 
you know, and I, I just, you know, I just saw it and I wrote it. It's, it's, and I think yeah. that's great. That's really, in truth, if you think about it, Paul, even if, let's say, whether you're recalling a past life or whatever, in truth, human beings are a lot more complex where, like, you know, that yeah. good, good guy or the bad, bad guy. Yeah. You know, if we had somebody that was chronicling our every move, boy, <laughs> what would come up around, you know, oh, yeah. if it came out oh, yeah. no. everything yeah, we said no. and did? It's true. It's true. No, we, we don't always present our best selves. And, no. and I, I think that's probably true of every person. Yes, um, of you course. Know. But it makes but, life um, interesting, but, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. Yes. So anyway, Paul, I wanted to thank you so much. It has been wonderful to interview you. Like I said before, I am very fascinated with the subject uh, and what you speak about, what you wrote about. Uh, like I said, from my own firsthand experience, it's very, very real. Um, and there's something that no matter, I can't put it into words. You can describe it, but not until you experience it do you understand it. Yes. How convincing or how it touches your soul where there's something there that it's like, I know this is true. Yeah, right. Yeah, everyone, anyone who's really right, digging in, you just, you do get to that place, that point in no return where you're like, yes. I know it's true, that's it. Yes, why are you fucking around? <laughs> you could you could describe it. You could you know you could provide all this proof and you know all these facts yeah. and these correlations and everything, but there's yeah. something that only the person that has that firsthand experience, that observation, that you yeah. know, okay, that yeah. that's me or the, that is me, but not me kind of thing. And this mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. my imagination. Yeah. Because there's certain things that you see while you're in regression that you can't make up because you have no knowledge of it. How's that? Yeah, yeah, right. Totally. You know, it's like I'm not digging this up out of my subconscious somewhere. It's like there's no way I know that. So. Right, right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, I mean, right, like with me with the Titanic Blueprints, if I was just such a geek that I had memorized the, you know, the, the layout of Titanic, um, you know, um, I would have, you know, w- would have pre-visualized it or visualized oh, it in yeah. a way that was erroneous, <laughs> but yes. I didn't and frankly found out it was true later. So yeah, no, I, I agree. Right. And, and what your first reaction was like, I'm wrong. Wow. I can't believe I'm wrong. What I kept yeah. thinking that that room yeah. was there and it's not, I was wrong. Not yeah. like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and, that's and it was the devastating thing. at the time because I had spent, you know, I had, you know, ended the job. I it wasn't a happy experience. I wanted to take some time and just sort of try to figure out if this was true. So mm-hmm. I had already spent a bunch of time like writing up what had happened up to that point, and you know, so yeah, I was all like, oh my god, the last few months you have completely wasted. This is baloney. <laughs> And then, yeah. Wow, that was like really like oh, okay. So I guess I'll yeah. write now a fiction book about. It. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. No, exactly. I was like, how embarrassing, and and I had some friends saying, well, Paul, you know, it still doesn't make it less valid. And I'm like, well, well, in my mind, it does because yeah, of it, because well, what is this saying? And you know, you know, but I can see that. I could see somebody writing a deep psychology like, like you know, a person who has to prove to themselves that they were on the Titanic. Like, for what reason? You know, like, (laughs) I mean, because it was terrifying. Like, that's how I look at it is, is that it was not fun by any means. (laughs) None of it. None of that experience was fun. And so I I don't know why anyone would just, 
want to be associated with it. You know, I mean, it's 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 terrifying. It's terrifying do you, you know? do you think that you've lived any other lives between now and then? You know, I don't know. To tell you the truth, I actually well, I, I will say yes. I will say this: there is. Um, I did one other regression, okay. and I did see a life that was sort of a, not not a long life, but a life mm-hmm. that was between the, these two, and. Um, I actually draw from that in the new book. Like that, okay. that is one of the things that I pull out. Um, so oh. I don't want to totally talk about it, but yes, it was, um, you know, it was, a, I can say this, it was a Far East life. Oh, and wow. what I saw was enough to make me judge the veracity of it. Um, okay. You know, just because the experience that I had. Um, and in my new book, I give that experience to the main character. You know, I, oh. I essentially give him, you know, so if one were to read that book and right. understand the, you know, this regression and this experience, um, know that it comes from a place of truth for me. You know, so. Interesting. Very interesting. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there was a time when I thought, oh, maybe I should go there and really try to, um, you know, but it's it's uh, it's not, not easy getting <laughs> to China. And, no. you know, I, I felt like, hey, you know, like, I also felt like once you know it's true, yes. it's sort of like, <clears throat> you know, it's like, it's like doing cop shows. Well, I can yeah. say this. Cops have a, a burden beyond figuring out who did it which mm-hmm. is providing an abundance of evidence to make sure that they can be prosecuted beyond a reasonable doubt. Exactly. So oftentimes in the research for the crime shows that I've worked on, you know, you will have a cop being like, and then I found this, and then I found this. And what I have to say to them is, but what you don't understand is that once you tell the, once you find this, the audience is going to know who did it. You know, you're not, right. you don't have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt to the viewer who did it. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I feel about the past life stuff, which is having spent all this time with Jack and, and with that experience, I, you know, I don't need to prove it any further. Like, well, what's the point? Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, right. we'll put it this way. I guess there are other things to do in life and time is yeah. short. Um, yes. It's not 25 years short, but still, you know, there's other things I want to do. So, yeah, so I haven't really, really pursued that other one. Um, okay. and, but I, and I can say this, um, I have found more information um, about a life that was one of the lives that I have memories of that preceded Jack. Really? Probably by a couple hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, when I had my regression, um, I saw two lives. Okay. That time. Like I basically did check-ins on two different lives and both were extremely realistic. And I ended up sort of being able to just by luck figure out that one of them existed in the South Seas. But okay. um, fairly recently I've been able to pinpoint the, you know, I, I did another regression. I got more information about this person and what happened. Mm-hmm. And so, so I might write in a little addendum to Okay. My book, just a little, you know, just about that, because because that was fascinating to me, and I I felt yes. that, um, yeah, that that it was uh, wor- that his life was worth knowing about. Like, you know, I was kind of afraid of how it ended. Okay. <laughs> so well, I let's face it. Yeah. Right? No. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's our we're, he, he, whichever way you look at it, our egos in there somewhere. Like I don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, no, exactly. And that was how it was. That I, and all, it's um, yeah, it's kind of a fascinating thing, you know. I think, um, I and think I, so. And I will say this: this is all right. And if there's, are you editing the show, by the way? I can edit it though, but go ahead. Oh no no no! I just didn't know if we if we're so beyond time that I no. Don't worry. I mean, <laughs> there's I don't have a time limit. Keep going. Keep going. Don't worry about that. All right. Well, what I will say, I will say this. I I had read something, you know, like on Facebook, I've members of a couple spiritual groups, and you mm-hmm. know, and people will just put up these kind of nice memes, and you know, and I always appreciate that because sometimes when. You're feeling down, whatever. And one of the memes that really struck me that I saw was that your purpose in this life is to heal all of your past lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. so I was like, oh, well, this is kind of interesting. And I, you know, there was a part of me that knew that I had really walked away from that other life um, okay. because I was afraid. I was terrified of what I saw because I basically, it was in the South Seas and what I saw looked like a, an island raid going wrong where a bunch of natives were chasing a group that I was in to boat and they were coming after us and they just wounded me. And, you know, the last, when I came out, when I came out of the regression, you know, they had just speared my leg, but that was it. And so I had to suspect that I ended up, I don't want to say in a pot, but Yes, you know, no. Those <laughs> natives, if, if they're in the Polynesians, man, they no, were in the, they were oh, into yeah. eating their enemies. Me, they were, yeah, no, 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 no. They, and so, um, so yeah, so there was a part of me, and also wow, I didn't that's really. Pretty, think, uh, yeah, and I felt like, oh, maybe he was just raiding, and this was just something that they did, and mm-hmm. and the guys, like, I didn't understand the circumstances by what right. I saw. I just simply saw my back to some boats, and then being captured. And, you know, seeing the boat, like I was, I was so eager to get the boat off, you know, like, and one of the last images I saw was the boat being like pushing the boat so it gets away, you know, and I didn't really, you know, so, so while, you know, while I saw that right before I saw Jack's life, Mm -hmm. and my book goes into really all the Jack stuff, um, you know, it, it, it was something that was, that, uh, that made me wonder, you know, like that other life. But I didn't really think about it. I thought, well, maybe he was just, you know, if he was a schmuck raiding someone's <laughs> island and he got his just desserts, you know, like like I was dismissing him. I was like, he's like a red shirt on Star Trek, you know, like. Oh, <laughs> it's like, you know, he's going to die, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's going to die. We know he dies. That's it. So I hadn't really thought of him. But what was really fascinating was I was doing a meditation and it was when I was sort of reaching back to Jack around that time when I thought it was important to just kind of do healing there. And when I read this thing, it was like, your goal is to heal all of your lives. And I was like, oh, wow, that's actually a really cool thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that I know about chakras and heart chakras, I know that I can kind of just sort of send, you know, good thoughts and good energy from my heart chakra to these people. So what I did was I sent it to Jack, and I felt the usual response. And then I sent it to this guy, you know, and all I knew was this one little moment of his life that I saw. And he came back at me (laughs) and sent me, yeah. And it turns out that this story was way different than I thought. He was not a red shirt. He was a healer and, and really kind of a spiritual leader. I mean, on his island, they were kind of both. Um, and his dad was like the king and, you know, and basically what I thought was a raid was not that it was, he was relocating his people, um, 
you know, and the king on this new the island they went to reneged on the deal and killed his son. <laughs> and so oh he was trying to escape and trying to basically help his wife and his, his baby escape. Um, and it was just, you know, it was just really potent. And I saw enough when I did this regression about his life to basically be able to figure out the island. And, oh, you know, wow. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it holds up because the, the reason they had to relocate was that a, a Westerner's ship <laughs> um, okay. Actually, a Dutch a Dutch explorer ship had mm-hmm. crashed on the island, and it brought with it these black rats oh. that were destroying. Yeah, and you know, basically, that people were dying, so they had to you know find a new island home. And his son went as an emissary, made a deal, and then it was reneged upon when they showed up. And, you know, they tried to escape and were chased away. So, you know, he, he well, died Well, you know what? People, people don't realize that uh, in a lot of those uh, South Sea islands that you talk about, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they were, let me tell you something. You were lucky if they just killed you. They were pretty vicious with, uh, with their prisoners, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. especially no, the were. male ones. They were, and they did. They did, and I think he did end up getting consumed as well. Yeah. I still, <laughs> you know. Right, yeah, no, I mean, no. I, it was like, you know. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty yeah. out no, there. Some did. His, his tribe didn't. What was interesting that um, as I did this regression, um, what was fascinating to me was, you know, we had always hear, um, you know, heard of the fact that they had these sort of religious platforms where they presumed that people were, you know, like sacrificed to the gods and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what he explained to me on his island, because... And, and by the way, what was interesting about him is he was darker. He was, he was living among Polynesians, okay. but he was more like a Melanesian. Like he and his people were darker skinned, complected. Okay. They, I think they had intermingled years earlier. Then. So he wasn't full Polynesian. He was kind of more, um, you know, more African mixture at Polynesian. And you know what's really interesting is that they're discovering, uh, that's really interesting that you say about that, Paul, you know that they're discovering uh, in those islands that that, that where they had originally thought that it was only Polynesians who had settled there. It was not really. They had a lot of other sources from that area that ended up in those islands. Yes. Well, no, exactly. And Funny enough, this island that I discovered, um, Takapoto is the name of the island. It's mm-hmm. an atoll. It's an atoll or atoll. I don't know how that's pronounced. But that w- they are looking at that island as you know, as having you know, they found evidence of um, you know previous um, inhabitants of an unknown heritage or origin. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, because they were Melanesian and they didn't get along with the locals. And that's why they had to kind of travel far to find a new island. But yeah, but the black rats did kind of wipe out their village. You know, so I saw so many details. And um, yeah, so that story I will write up. That is um, so you know. interesting. Oh, yeah. 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 And it is fascinating because, yeah, it's things like that where I was like, I could see the island. I could see where the ship was because the ship, the island had a, a coral jetty. Like it had a coral ring around it. Like well, okay. basically these atolls were all just coral. Mm-hmm. This one had a, has a lagoon, which is okay. which is kind of famous now for 
um, black pearl farming or pearl farming. Wow. But one of the interesting things that I saw in my regression was at his wedding, you know, I saw him on a boat and he would go like, you know, like there was a part of the island where they had the marriage hut or whatever. Uh-huh. And, you know, where, you know, where people could go and, you know, because people basically lived, you know, at least in his, on his island, people lived all in proximity to each other. Right. So for special occasions, they would go away and they did that on their marriage. And so I saw him on this boat and I'm thinking, what was that? And then I discovered on this particular island, there was a lagoon. So you, you would take, you could take a boat to get to the far, you know, get across the island. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also saw this ship crashed on what, what looked like the end of a jetty, you know, like it's rocks, coral rocks going out to sea, and this boat is like speared on the end of it. And I saw the rats come, and I saw all this, and by boat I mean big sailing ship. And so anyway, I found this island, Takapoto, uh-huh. where it was discovered by the, it was, it was visited by the discoverer of Eastern Island, a Dutch explorer. Okay. And his ship had crashed, and where the wreckage is, according to recent maps, is right at the end of, like, this rock jetty that I saw, that he was trying wow. to find access to the lagoon on the island, you know, to, with, as safe harbor, but this, this, you know, this, you know, canoes and very small boats can navigate between, you know, the inner lagoon and the outer, exactly. but a big ship like that forget about it. So he was trying to find a place to, you know, and they drove up on the rocks and the ship sank and it's still there. So, so that to me was like, whoa, this is, and the fact that, you know, they, exactly. this island has an unknown heritage and, you know, and I could see the plants. But what I was starting to say is, is that they had altars too. But what was very fascinating to me and what I saw in my regression was that these altars were used to it's where people came into the world and left it and they were very much like spiritually aware the stars were kind of the gods sort of thing and a lot of what they did was at night um you know that the days were very hot and you know they were kind of more night explorer types but anyway they would they would when a woman was going to give birth they would lay out all the all the banana plants on this thing and the baby would come into the world and the bodies would be cremated on these things when they left okay so that's so what they took they care of They didn't dead. practice, um, and and you know they would use like cocoa, you know like um, what do you call it? The stuff from the coconuts, the coconut meat, okay. as kind of accelerant. And you know, so that was where. So you know, so I think that that you know, I mean, from what I saw, um, it wasn't a case of them like sacrificing people on these altars. It right. Was, it was part of their culture where, you know, where they celebrated life. And the return to the other side. Yeah, so, well, and, you know, and, and so, all these, uh, yeah, no, they were saying that you know some of that's why some of these groups sometimes they had different, I guess, religious or spiritual beliefs, even though they kind of yeah. lived in that area. And that's their thinking is that they yeah. had brought them from originally from where they originated from. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that this, these were the beliefs of this guy. So, so if there were cannibalism in the other mm-hmm. islands among the Polynesians, maybe. Right. But he made it clear to me that his beliefs were, were this, and, you know, and yeah, and I found it fascinating, and I think maybe, because, you know, they, you do find these altars all over those islands, and everyone seems to think, right. I mean, people understand that they're, they have cultural significance, mm-hmm. but no one quite yes. knows what they mean, and, you know, at least on this island, this is what I saw, and, um, you know. Right. It was, I mean, even now, they're still trying to figure out stuff about Easter Island that they still haven't quite 
I mean, they yep. have figured yep. out a lot of stuff as to what happened with the people that lived there, but yep. the, I mean, what they did and how they did the thing with those mm-hmm. faces, mm-hmm. they still can't figure out how they did it, the mechanics no, of it true. anyway. It would be great if somebody like like in a past life could come up back with that information. I'd I mean, because I'm pretty guys. sure that people, you know, that would oh, be no, really that, cool. That, that's a big but mystery. Yeah, because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go looking for this guy's story. <laughs> I mean, I didn't go looking to solve any mysteries right. of Polynesia. I, it's not something that you know, even more than the well, the Titanic. I did have a dark fascination with, obviously, since I heard about right. it, but. You know, this one, the island stuff, you know, no, there was no interest whatsoever. I, I don't right, like, like the beach. <laughs> right, not, right, exactly. I mean, when fell... I was a child, I didn't like the beach. Like now as an adult, I, you know, I go and take photos of the beach and I like it. But, <laughs> but the, and that's, that's one of the things. Everybody thinks that you're magically attracted to certain things about a past life. And not necessarily. You could be like, I don't yeah. like I don't like that. I don't want that. And I'm not talking yeah. about as in a negative, like what happened with you with yeah. the shadow yeah. of the building. It could just yeah. be if you had negative experiences in a lifetime, doesn't have to be horrific. You could have mm-hmm. a dislike for it and you might not yeah. understand why, but you know, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I think that's true, and I think that I think that that the island life, you know, knowing some of the, the way it ended badly, it made it so that I was just like, yeah, of my top places, not so much, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, like like of interest, yeah, not so much, and that wow. I think is right because I feel like something bad did happen at the end of this life, but but what I'm fascinated by. And I want to do more meditations, and so that's why this other one might end up sure. being a book, would be yeah. to try to find out how he did his healing. Like, like, what are those techniques that he used? And, you know, right. obviously exactly. some of it was plant-based and all that, but I would just love to sort of be able to, you know, sort of bring back that information of, you know, yes. how did these people, these medicine men, heal? What did they do? Yeah, because back then it was, we're talking about here, uh, yeah. basic and I think a better understanding of how our mind influences what happens in our body. Yeah, um, right. You know, because back then it was like, yeah, maybe you had some use of herbs, if there were any, or what, whatever grew yep. in that area, you know, to, yep. as for certain medicinal purposes. But I think a lot of it was a yep. better understanding of what happens in yes. the mind. No, no, you're right. You're right. And also, and also I've been giving some some tips, meditative tips for things that he, you know, they uh, they had a this one they did have a significance um, a great significance in in this particular community um, with you know the dog star with Sirius you know feeling like that was a very powerful like of the night sky that okay. was obviously being a bright star was very powerful and it has powerful healing properties and yes. so so I was told that and you know. You know, just sort of imagine Sirius kind of coming in through the crown and, and going to the problem areas and working them out. Like that's, you know, is yes. a, a lot of the healing stuff is, 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 you know, visualizations and all that. Oh, and yes. I, think, I think that he did that. Where, where I saw his, his dad was, uh, he became sort of this leader because his dad was, and his dad was killed by a shark <laughs> on the beach. And oh. he, he was very upset that he couldn't save him. You know, so yeah, there were things that, you know, traumas that they couldn't heal from, but yes. a lot of things they could do, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, let, case in point, just look at the uh, studies done on placebo effect. I mean, if anybody yeah. wants to doubt how powerful the mind is, 
Look at yeah, well, no, studies. exactly. And I think part of it is that these guys were tapping into that, you know, and it makes sense, at least, and again, for me, I was looking at everything I was seeing critically. It makes sense that he would not have had any medicine to fight the, the diseases the, the rats brought, you know, like these were exactly. Western diseases that they had not. And, you know, and I do have proof that there was a massive eradication campaign, I think, in the 70s on mm-hmm. this island, 70s or 80s. Because, you know, it was known to be, um, you know, it, it obviously was a, a lucrative place for the French government. Right. The, the pearl mining and all that. Okay. I mean, the pearl farming. And, uh-huh. you know, they, it didn't do to have rats running around. So there was a massive eradication program there. And, wow. you know, but and, yeah, but this, this uh, came And from, usually what happens is with these ancient cultures, when they, not not like when they had either sickness introduced, like all of a sudden it dropped in in on you. But usually when it's happened, because sometimes, you know, you do, they would go, they would, they learned how to quarantine. But usually it was a slower effect where let's say some of your villages or the people next in the village got sick and they learned how to quarantine and they realized, hey, once you quarantine, that's it. But if you get something like rats. Exactly. And that's why it was very important for these people to, find a new place, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and I think that after that, um, you know, other islands did extend over there, the Polynesians did come there, but I believe that this unknown, you know, sort of heritage that they, you know, it's a fascinating island where they're finding out that it wasn't just Polynesians and there's exactly. an interesting culture that lived there, and like I said, I believe I know what that culture was. Yes, and, you know, and I, a, I would love to, because I'm telling you, they're, they're saying that the... Um, that the history of those islands, as far as human habitation, far predates yeah. what they originally thought, as yeah. far as estimates. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly, yeah. So. No, I think that, I think ours, these guys were fairly, right, exactly, because they believed, yeah, they were saying there were all these theories that they came from, I mean, some people even saying, you know, come from Hawaii, but, yes, you know, but coming, you know, from, you know, I've, like. I've heard of China, I've heard uh, of yeah. South America, and, and coming like of a, and the, you know, the, the, like it, the year, um, a thousand or whatever and it's like i i don't think that's true in all cases <laughs> and i yes. think that yeah. there were cultures there before and i think that um you know i've yeah, even heard and and, and and like i've um i've heard that on some of these islands they have even you know because they would do a lot of the rock carvings yep. they have yep. even found some carvings that very that resemble like celtic designs yeah uh, which is like, okay, so where did oh, this wow. come from? <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's that's pretty something. Well, I think that a lot of, I mean, one of the points that I make in the new book is that, you know, and it's something that I usually tell people, is that so many of the original cultures of the Earth had similar beliefs. Yes. You know, like if you look at just, just the broad picture of the idea of humans living and being reincarnated, you know, mm-hmm. that culture, that... I mean, <laughs> the Celts, uh, you know, obviously the Chinese, the Pacific Islanders, like there's, it's a, it's a rogues gallery of, of every culture, India, India for sure. Yes. Um, Germany had their version of it, the Zoroastrians, you know, the, mm-hmm. um, all of West Africa um, yes. and several Native American tribes, you know, yes. uh, the Huron exactly. and others, you know, you know. And it's just like, I look at it as like, it's the default spiritual understanding of the world. And when the Abrahamic religions came in, Mm -hmm. they kind of like knocked it out, 
But the reality is, is that, you know, how is it that all these cultures believe more or less the same things? And that, to me, I think, is where the truth lies. Exactly. Because what people don't realize is that, that, you know, straight, you know, belief in reincarnation or variants of it, that everybody thinks, well, you know, if you know you're going to get another shot, the idea was always that you have such a great life that you don't have to reincarnate. <laughs> that's the whole, right. that's the, the winning thing. Well, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And that's the spiritual message of a lot of the Eastern religions. Like you get to that place of, but yeah, but like even, you know, the Egyptians, I mean, is it is, it's a rogues gallery. If you look at all the cultures on the, in the history of the earth, that it's amazing how many really truly believed it. And so, you know, the imagery of the Druids, finding its way to the South Pacific, um, you know, if they have similar beliefs, they could have similar imagery. You know, like it's uh, it's not that far of a stretch, you know. Right. I think. I think cultures were not yeah. as isolated as once believed. But but anyway, Paul, thank you again so much. It has oh, been you're absolutely welcome. I really enjoyed wonderful. This. This I have enjoyed this so, so much. You have no idea. No idea. And I want to wish you the best of luck on your project. On all thank of them. you, thank you. And if you don't mind, I, I'll just tell people. I mean, the book is called "The Man Who Sent the SOS." Yes, yes. Um, I've, I have. And, I've been showing um, slides I with the cover of the book, a, so that people know what it looks like. They've been seeing uh, on the on the. If once they see the video portion of the show, they're going to see. I, I yep. put a cover of your book. Plus, I'm going to put a link to your website on the credits of the show as well. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So, but anyway, and, uh, for the I podcast listeners, the what feedback. is your so any questions or you know, I'll be happy to answer. Um, I just enjoy hearing what people think. So, Paul, what's your what's your website address for anybody that's listening to the podcast? Oh, version? sure. It is my name. It's well, you can do the man who sent the SOS dot com, mm-hmm. okay, or you can do paulameralt dot com. Um, and I think you 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 pronounce it the French way, which is great. It should be Amiro, mm-hmm. um, but my granddaddy. Uh, Americanized it when yeah, it came in the 30s <laughs> um, <laughs> or the 20s. So. Um, but yes, it's uh, just uh, P-A-U-L-A-M-I-R-A-U-L-T dot com. Perfect. Fantastic. Again, I want to wish you the best of luck in everything. Thanks. Sounds like you have so many wonderful, interesting projects that I well, hope to bring you, you back Molly. and we can really talk about those. It. it was just well, really great to talk to you and Okay. You know, I'll uh, I'll when the, I'll let you know when the book comes out. Yes, I'll yes, yes. I'll keep I'll keep an eye out for it. <laughs> but it's, we're looking at early September. So okay, early one. September. So we'll okay. All, All right, Paul. Take care. Thanks. Bye. 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 All right, guys. Man, what a great interview. <laughs> of course, because you know, I love all my guests because, of course, that's why I wouldn't ask them to come to the show if I didn't think that they were wonderful, interesting. But reincarnation and all these things having to do with hypnosis, they a special place in my heart. Why? Because I've experienced it in my hand, and but mostly I have done it. I have been the hand holder, if you want to call it that, for people that wanted to do the hypnosis, the past life regression. Uh, and I wasn't kidding. A lot of times people go in, they're very scared. And I had to like basically first do a putting them under hypnosis part so that they realize they're not going to float off into outer space or disappear or I don't know. People come up with weird ideas. But anyway, but I have been there. And by the way, it 
for somebody that's not really used to it, they sometimes kind of have a hard time stopping the over-analysis, okay? Which is where, you know, part of the process of regressing somebody is that you have to let go, like suspend your disbelief, stop over-analyzing, like, how did I get there? What, how, 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 what, 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 what? It's just like, it's almost like, okay, if you go in now to see a movie at the theater, do you at the beginning of the movie say, I want to know how, what, where, when, and what happened to that character? You sit there and you watch it and you let it unfold. You know, even the the biggest fantasy, you know, what I'm saying is that you suspend your disbelief. You let it unfold. You, you enjoy it. So that's one of the things that would hang up a lot of people for past life regressions because they wanted the, all the details they want to see the ending credits at the beginning. It's like, no, 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 don't do that. Stop. Just let go, which for some people is really hard. Let go and watch and experience it. And the see part was really difficult for a lot of people because they wanted to see with their eye, even though they were closed. And it was like, see, appear. So that's another thing. But eventually, once people let go of that, mm, that whole tight thing that they got going on they let go and it's like let it unfold don't question if it sounds weird or what or if you look down at your feet and all of a sudden you're a guy but you're wearing heels then you were a woman uh go with it go with it just like if you're watching a movie that's that's usually the biggest hiccup that i would find with people that would come to see me for past life regression where they want to overanalyze or and it was really funny because it's almost like they were afraid of being foolish. They were afraid of seeing or believing something. And it was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to talk about it. And you're not going to talk about I mean, you talk to whoever you want. As a matter of fact, I would tape the um, the regression. And I would give them, I send them um, a copy of it so that they could keep it and go back over it. Because a lot of times later on, things would click for them. But uh, they're, they're afraid of being foolish. And it's like, let go of that, you know, like that, you know, like, oh, that's stupid. How can you get rid of that? Just get rid of it. Again, I want to go to the example of if you go see some fantasy movie and you had some guy saying, oh, that's a bunch of sh- bull crap. How can that be happening? That doesn't exist. Or how's that? Stop the chatter. Stop that critical factor that wants to understand and overnight over analyze everything and um and you'd be surprised and one of the things that and, and i point this out because i know some people that they were expecting when i was telling it because inevitably let's face it <laughs> most most souls have had dramatic or weird or mind-boggling lives because just because of the sheer number of lifetimes they might have experienced but the most important thing which is what I would tell them well afterwards is you know when we would say well I want to let's show this person what's the most appropriate thing for them to see I would say 90% of the time they would get shown a lifetime that had they had no idea no uh, affiliation with anything the time period the the country the person the nothing they were like huh and, you know, every once in a while you had somebody would drive, but 
most of the times it was regular lives. And even if they did not really die as old people, they would die of sickness or illness, like on a bed. You know, nothing like really horrible where you were getting decapitated or killed or whatever. People say, people of course are, you know, that whole type thing was always, they think that they were going to go on this roller coaster ride where they were going to see themselves. And I tell them, this is the thing. Your psyche, your subconscious, your mind will always protect you at all costs. In other words, your mind, your subconscious mind understands what your logical or regular conscious mind doesn't understand. That sometimes to introduce you into that ability to relive and see again an experience you had as a different person with the same soul. Believe it or not, that takes that takes a bit to square in your head. So what your subconscious mind does is it's like, I'm going to give you something really tame. Okay, because if I really give you the hard, ugly lifetimes, you might go, ah! and that's it. You know, you're out of there. You, you know, in other words, there's no benefit. The subconscious understands. There's no benefit to showing you a lifetime that you are not ready to handle, especially with modern day sensibilities that we have as human beings living in modern day where, you know, people died sometimes horrifically, very commonly, like what he was describing. Your dad goes, I get eaten by a shark. Now, something like that makes the headlines in the National Enquirer, but let's face it, not that many people die that way. You know, but back then, many years ago, depending on how far back we're going, that type of violent or sudden death was could be very common and could affect either happen to you or somebody you knew. But from the perspective of the observer, which is the person in modern day, all those things would be really, really shocking and possibly disturbing. And of course, everybody has a different threshold of where they go, you know, and, and the difference is, even though there's a lot of methods that you can do as a hypnotist to draw the person into observer mode, as much as what you're looking at is a movie, there is that understanding that what you're seeing happening is you. Okay, now imagine it. You go see a movie nowadays where somebody gets killed or blown up or slasher film or God knows, whatever. And this is a movie and you know it's made up, it was produced, a lot of CGI, whatever. And you still go, oh, or, oh, or whatever. Now, can you imagine if you're watching a movie where sometimes you even smell what it smelled like there or you felt a breeze or the heat? That's how lifelike it is to see that person that you know is you but a different body experience some horrific death. There's a lot of people that can't handle that with modern day sensibilities. Sometimes, depending, again, everybody's different, they will see something that they need to see to get them beyond a certain problem that they have, that their soul understands it, but they don't. Something that they got caught on that hamster wheel. They can't get off the hamster wheel. And this person now in modern day, in this present life, can't quite figure out why they react the way they do to certain stimuli, certain things 
you know. And again, you know, those people that want to do the past life regression, whether you want to believe it or not, don't be surprised if at the beginning you really do not have these past life moments that knock your socks off. You'll be like, really? Because your mind is, and, and, and I've had a lot of clients also that told me once they had that past life regression, then they would have some really way out dreams. And that's the subconscious going, okay, all right, we put you, we, we, we dipped you in the water and we're going to throw some stuff at you now. Your subconscious is talking to you some symbol, symbolically and symbols. Some of the stuff is way out there, especially if you're talking another time, place, person. Eh, I mean, we could go on with that. But again, now you know why I find it so fascinating. And I hope to have Paul back and see his follow-up projects. Again, his website's going to be on the credits of the show. If you want to find out more about Paul, his, what he's doing, his book, future projects, and uh, guys, I hope you like the show. I have a ton of fascinating guests coming that uh, are going to be great. They're going to be great interviews. They're all just super interesting people. Something, a lot of interesting stuff going on with them, whether they're an author, an expert, and I still, my true believers, true believers calling all true believers. Don't forget about me. Send me your stories. I've got a lot of stories lined up. Um, go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. There's a submit your story tab or not. Write an email, Marlene at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. You can write me, you can write the story if you're a writer. If you want to video yourself, you can send me, that's fine. If you want to talk about it, you can send that. And if you really want to get interviewed, just let me know and I will find out some way I can do it on the phone. Just like I do with my regular guests, I can Skype it and we can talk about it. You can tell me your story. Don't worry. Like Paul said, I can edit stuff so it'll, you know, I can take out any flubs and we'll talk about it. It's a conversation. So again, do not forget about me. My true believers, like I said, I'm working on season five of Stories of the Supernatural. And as much as I love to talk to experts and authors and people out there, I absolutely love talking to the regular people that have had sometimes one experience sometimes a lifetime of experiences so whatever it is that you're wishing willing to share i'm willing to listen so don't forget about me catch me on facebook instagram twitter miami ghost chronicles that's where i live stream and again guys i want to thank you so much for sharing this time with me and i hope you come back subscribe to the channel so you get notified of any new shows that i release but again thank you so very much for being part of my audience Take care. You're all wonderful.